Since 1975, BSA Life Structures has dedicated itself to progressive and sustainable design. The firm has designed a number of LEED certified buildings as well as facilities planned to accommodate the future growth and evolution of the institutions that use them, with studios in Austin, Denver, Indianapolis, Raleigh, St. Louis, and Tampa. BSA Life Structures has grown for four decades by not simply designing buildings, but by providing inspired solutions that improve lives. Welcome everyone to this episode of Build America, the podcast that's capturing and sharing the very heartbeat of design, engineering, and construction. I'm your host, Carrie Smith, owner of Information Works. And there is no doubt, as we'll learn in this episode, that the COVID-19 pandemic changed the way in many senses that design and engineering occurred with regard to healthcare spaces. So that's the topic of our episode today. Joining me are two design and engineering professionals from the nationally recognized architecture and engineering firm BSA Life Structures. Kevin Token is a principal at the firm, which specializes in healing, learning, and discovery. Kevin launched BSA's St. Louis office in 2008, and he has more than 30 years' experience as a systems engineer. Also joining us today is Ryan King, who is also a principal and a licensed architect at Life Structures, and Kevin focuses on healing-based projects in the St. Louis region. Kevin and Ryan, welcome to Build America. We're so glad you're with us today. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thank you, Gary. Awesome. Well, let's dive into our topic, which is kind of twofold. First, what's happened to design and engineering in light of the COVID pandemic of three years ago now? And kind of number two, what, what are we doing differently as we design health spaces and protect patients and staff going forward? Would love to delve into that with you guys. First, I just would ask the question over what has changed, what hasn't changed in the past three years since we faced a worldwide pandemic. How did you have to react to that and how quickly and what was that like? Take us back. Yeah, if we go back to the beginning, when it all started to happen in early 2020, it was kind of a scramble. Healthcare professionals quickly recognized that they needed to find ways to keep their staff and their patients safe from the virus as people came into the hospital who were sick. And the way to do that is to no longer recycle air, but to bring in 100% outside air and exhaust the space completely. And the systems aren't set up for that normally. So it had to be figured out and it had to be done quickly. And there were just a wide variety of solutions that we had to come up with on the fly. And in some cases, we added fans to exterior windows and just sucked the air directly out of the room. So in those cases, clients who had older buildings were actually in better shape because they had operable windows. It was easy to just open the window and put a fan out. <laughs> but in most cases, windows are fixed, so they would have to remove a pane of glass or make a hole in the wall or do something to get the air out. So we did a lot of things kind of on the fly. We looked for special situations. There was a unit in an emergency department in one case where it was a suite. And so we were able to make that whole suite negative as it related to the rest of the, the ED department, which was really nice option to have in that case. And then I can't it, imagine. Oh, go ahead. I was yeah, just saying, no. I can't imagine your phone ringing and this yeah. isn't like, hey, can you come over and redesign the systems of our hospital? But just the manpower you had at that time and just how you accommodate that many clients with that many immediate needs. Yeah, it was a drop everything kind of a moment. 
and run up to the client, help them figure it out, duct tape and bailing wire, whatever it takes to, to get things done. You can also remember that we had problems with the supply chain. And so sure. it wasn't just, okay, let's order a fan or order a new coil or whatever we needed. It was what's on the shelf and how can we use it to accomplish what we need to accomplish. So we kind of MacGyvered a lot of things. <laughs> That's a great verb. <laughs> Please continue. I think you had another point. I didn't mean to jump in on you. Oh, there was just one other case where an air handler fed four patient floors in a building, but one of the floors had an isolated return system. So we were able to isolate that whole floor, 100% exhaust that air. And then when we were done, when COVID was kind of over, they kept that fan, put some damper controls in. So now they can switch that floor to 100% side air anytime they want to, anytime it's needed. Okay. I bet your phone was ringing along with Ryan's and your project team on how you were responding to all this, Ryan. What's your initial memory of March, April 2020 and what kind of requests you were getting? So to Kevin's point about controlling some of the air, some of the architectural components to that are doors and walls and trying to figure out how we can wall off per se and section off portions of the building and still maintain like city features and all the egress components that we need to do was a little tricky. I thought it's some of the after the facts kinds of things to set things up. So there was a little bit of that work that we did for designing the work clients. But the other piece of it was learning how to control access because as you know, when you went into a hospital or healthcare facility, they wanted to be able to take the temperature, get your mask, do all these things on the way in. And so figuring which exits and entrances were essential and which ones were not. And we did barrier services for understanding how the facility lines out to make best use of the best ways to get in and out of the facility, the least amount of obligations, because it definitely needed to follow access to them. And with that, then there came the staging photo because we had to design lobbies of entrances sometimes to stage people and lot into wait six feet apart to receive, you know, temperature check, uh, grass, sanitizing guns, all those guys fill out some forms whenever the uh, facility by out. So there was a little bit of that and some temporary structures were built, not necessarily under our design, but folks had traded beds or got ever every structure helped in the lobby, if you will, instead of the vestibule of the building to allow for some of that. And then forced lobbies and waiting wasn't really happening. Well, was big sections of that and then there's just the mass quantities of folks trying to get the vaccine or get tested. And so there was an innovative concept that came from a couple of our owners here at Necessity, which was a drive-through laboratory, a drive-through necessity. So they started doing it in parking lots and under tenants, but then realized maybe this is something that might stick around. Now they might, it feels like maybe they were a little ahead of their time. To, so we had to quickly react as nine million up with some ideas of where some of these things might go and design very quickly to get them built so that they were essentially almost like a jiffy loop, if you will, for people. Sure. So That's a good way to describe it. And, yeah. and, you know, a person leads into their either swab or mm -hmm. once the vaccine was available, then it was administering the vaccine. And it became wildly popular with folks to do that. However, operational editing, that's become an issue because outside of the clothes are or work, have to work, or build a game. How does that 
building function in between time. So I can't imagine. I can't imagine the challenges you faced. And then while you're doing this, the population of patients is like exploding, right? Compared to, I mean, in many senses, I would think the number of users and just the, you talked about social distancing and the number of people that those of us that normally probably would never be going to the hospital in droves to be tested and all that. I can't imagine just doing that with so many people in those spaces, having to make the changes on the fly. Correct. And so making the changes on the fly became problematic because this patient census of many of our clients were at max capacity and they were diverting patients in some instances because they just didn't have their room. Now, I would say some of our clients were set up a little better when we completed design projects for med surgeons and inpatient care. We didn't know we were designing for a pandemic, but it ended up we designed for a pandemic for some of our clients inadvertently by having some of the med surgeons set up to be able to take care of the type of patient that they were seeing pretty easily without modifications. I will say that older chassis of hospitals or the older chassis of patient provisions had trouble keeping up with the needs of the patients because of their lack of ability to hook up the devices that needed to be associated with certain patients. And so we kind of discovered that maybe it is a good thing we over-designed Asia rooms to have you too many things at the head wall. In this case, it ended up benefiting one of our clients pretty well because they could almost turn their regular med surge unit into an ICU unit. Right. No, that makes sense. Kevin, when you're talking about re-engineering these systems on the fly and just elaborate, trying to use existing infrastructure, I guess, to exhaust the air and create all that, what did you do with projects that you were in the process of designing and engineering that were new projects that you were at whatever stage? That must have been an interesting, for both of you, that must have been an interesting juncture as well of what you do. Maybe it was better. You had the opportunity to not retrofit, but you must have had to shift plans on the fly for that as well. Uh, It's the thought process or the thinking behind how to design for a future pandemic has taken some time to settle out over the past couple of years. And I would say just in the last maybe six months, it started to settle into some trends, some ideas that make sense. You know, the problem with 100% outside air in a room or a unit or a building is the energy. It uses an enormous amount of energy. And this day and age, we can't afford to do that. And it's not good in general. So we need to find ways to only use that function when it's absolutely necessary. And so we've made things like emergency department is probably the place where most patients come who think they're sick and they don't sure what they have and they're going to present at an emergency department with COVID or another infectious disease. And so there's a lot of focus on the emergency department and how we treat that. So making the whole department negative as it relates to the rest of the hospital, making a unit within the emergency department negative to the rest of the department and making individual rooms negative to the nurses station in the core areas and in the department are all things that we've studied and have implemented in some cases. ICU rooms the same way, making more negative pressure or rooms negative pressure for ICU. In one case, in, in a current new hospital we're designing, they have set up the whole building, every patient floor for 100% outside air, and it can be changed basically at the flip of a switch so that when things go bad, <laughs> they can quickly, it takes a while for the system to cycle through, but well, you can change it almost immediately to pandemic. Wow. Wow. That must have been a significant investment. 
It's a bit of an investment, but we did some things on the energy side so that under normal operation, they save more money actually than they would have otherwise. When they need the pandemic function, no one cares about energy anymore. They just want people to be safe. So it just runs full out at that point. I like how you said that because it probably there's this pyramid or hierarchy of needs. And I would think that in the projects, BSA designs at safety, especially in the healthcare space, safety would be at the top, followed by everything else. How is it a struggle to or not to prioritize in a time of almost crisis with the pandemic versus everyday design and pre-design? Is it just a different thought process? Or like you said, is it kind of settling in over the past six months into a way of thinking regardless of the situation? I don't know what you think, Ryan, but it feels to me like during the pandemic, it was mostly scramble mode. <laughs> Let's get things solved for today. And now that it's been over for a little while, we've had time to settle back in and understand what it means for future design. What would you say, Ryan? Would you agree with that? I would, I would agree with that. Definitely a scramble to get things modified to be able to service the pandemic and the patients experiencing that. But with new designs going forward, we definitely not able to ask. Feels like we know what questions to ask now. It probably, well, for instance, I've mentioned about the med searching. Is that you want to have the ability to make a change that to be an ICU and not very in a temporary condition or a pandemic condition that we're, it's more money. And it's that's much more designing really, but but it is something to think about when planning for the future is not just not having a pandemic, I guess, for the last hundred years kind of has made everybody not have that in their purview. So now that it's happened now, we're kind of putting more flexibility into the design of things so that they can become other things in a time of crisis. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Kevin, you mentioned the supply chain and certainly I write a lot about construction and that's still an issue and especially was in 2020 and 2021. Can you share either of you a few examples of how you creatively engineered a solution that maybe didn't exist before because you just could not get your hands on the traditional supplies you needed? That's totally generic question, but if you can, if anything like Kevin pops to your mind as far as like a system or a solution that you now have that you maybe hadn't devised until the necessity of doing so. Yeah, I mean, I think in one case that comes to mind, we had when you increase the outside air to 100%, you're adding a lot of load to the air handler. It has to heat and cool all that air. And if you imagine that maybe it's 15 degrees outside, now you've got to heat a lot more 15 degree air up to a comfortable temperature for the building. And the coils in the air handlers aren't sized for that. We didn't have time to order coils and get them. It would have taken a year and the client needed to be operational like yesterday. So we literally talked to the suppliers and what do you have sitting in your warehouse here locally in St. Louis? Tell us what the specifications are on those coils. We'll figure out how to, how wow. to put them together to make it work so that we can heat the air and cool the air sufficiently. I would think those would be great teaching units for students going into engineering about how engineering truly is problem solving at its most basic level. That seems just like a classic that would be a great continuing education unit, too, for engineers. I'll say on the architecture side, we had something happen. We had a building under construction or we finished design during COVID and then it was going to start construction. And it was designed as a steel structure with bar joists in the of the structure, if you will. And we learned through the process of trying to 
secure the steel with the contractor that the bar joists weren't going to be available and to make them available was going to be a sheer cost impediment. So what we did was we designed it all to be steel structure. So instead of using joists, we used beams and changed some things up. And we were able to really efficiently do that what the, our structural engineer was, I should say, we're not structural engineer, but in aiding that was the way we design things now through models and in technology, that structural engineer was to take that structural model and repurpose it. And then we were able to repurpose some of our architecture to accommodate that very quickly. And they were able to change how they were going to procure the steel structure for that project and meet deadlines and meet the budget within a very tight time frame. That's awesome. Do you think some of those solutions like the panels instead of the joists, do you think some of those are going to hang around as just preferred solutions or were they kind of just out of necessity at the time? We were out of necessity at the time. I believe we've started to see things on the procurement side kind of even out. There is some, there are some long lead items out there. And that that's always been the challenge with construction and design is we're not sure what plant might get hit with a lot of need. And that would happen before COVID and we might have some lead time issues with some particular element or a storm, a hurricane hitting the south. So that was another one I was saying that really had us take a hard look at different roofing solutions because during the pandemic, so we have procured, we have supply chain issues and then a hurricane hit down in Houston, Texas area, plus the cold snap everything that wiped out petroleum and a lot of the roofing membranes and the insulation products are made from the products that are refined down in i'll call it the gulf coast and mm-hmm. none of that was able to happen and so we will had to look for some alternative roofing solutions on a couple different projects until that industry could get back up and running and be able to supply things in a tunnel fashion we on one project we just couldn't overcome it and we had to employ a temporary roof and basically double roof the building until we could get the proper materials. So there's some of that happened. We're not seeing that currently. Some of the longer lead items still exist on bigger items like infrastructure items that are related to engineering a lot. And it's been but even as you switch gear. Switch gear, air handlers, those have been the big hangups. But uh, we started to see those come down depending on the manufacturer and some of their methodologies of preparing to move that time frame around a little bit better now than, um, than we could say a year ago. I can't imagine. Kevin, any other things that you feel like you're doing differently on the engineering side going forward that maybe the pandemic, and I'd say it was, certainly was not a good thing, but that it taught you how to do something differently that's still working for you today? If not, that's okay. <laughs> I can't think of anything right now. That's okay. You shared a lot of it. And, you know, I know something that you all do a lot of design on, we touched on it before, but are just flexible spaces that can be used for more than one function. And to that end, I wondered if there are not be within healthcare or just in general, if you continue to design spaces that are multi-purpose for an organization and if that kind of design is still happening or if the pandemic had some effect on that, that it's more purpose-driven specific spaces again, due to the engineering systems that they contain. Boy, that was a rambling question. I apologize. (laughs) I think that's for both of us. But Yeah, sure. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think in general, 
Buildings have to be resilient. We have really not a great knowledge of what the delivery of healthcare will look like in 20 years. I mean, we can do our best to estimate it and see what trends are happening, but we really don't know. And the technology is changing so quickly. So buildings have to be resilient. But what I mean by that is adaptable, easily changeable, expandable, and all those things. And so we think through that as we design these facilities on the engineering systems, as well as the envelope and the structural systems and so on. Great answer. Ryan, would you tag on to that regard to the design that's going to be required, you know, even five years now? I think it's all the things that I'll call it a person not in construction or design wouldn't necessarily notice. It's things like the foundation systems and some of the structural grids that are out lay out of buildings so that it can be flexible. I think sometimes a misnomer is we create a room and it can be turned into all these different things. Well, in healthcare design, that's somewhat true, depending on what it is. Like, for instance, we could maybe turn an exam room into an office or make a room be able to go from an office to an exam room. So those might be some extremes. But really, it's about setting up some of the things inside the building so we're not having to rebuild infrastructure or we have impediments that it just can't move that make it hard to then create rooms for the future. And we tend to see that in folks that are repurposing existing hospitals that were designed, say, 50 years ago, 60 years ago, trying to fit healthcare into some of those chassis of buildings is a lot more difficult than it is to fit it into a chassis of a building designed, say, five, 10 years ago, because we're setting these things up for the future, what we believe, and trying to make them a little more flexible when it comes to that in a layout on an overall structural design, you will. That makes a lot of sense. Well, go ahead. I was, in a, I was in an emergency department design meeting yesterday, and it was interesting that COVID had an impact on our mental health as well. And so now behavioral health in the emergency department is becoming an enormous piece of the design. Unfortunately, it shouldn't be that way, but they have to design those spaces in out of necessity. And also one of the discussions we had yesterday was, okay, we've designed this big ED. It has this big behavioral health piece and it's got the exam rooms that we think we're going to need based on the projections of patient volume that we've developed. But what if we have an event or, God forbid, a big interstate car crash, multi-vehicle crash or another pandemic? How do we expand up real quick and to cover those events? And so just discussing what surrounds the ED, how can we convert spaces quickly to places where you can put more beds? It's definitely on the tip of everybody's mind right now. Wow. I appreciate you sharing that as soon as a meeting this week when you were discussing those very topics. And I could talk to you all day. I know we could listen all day, but you've got to get back to your designing and engineering. But we've really appreciated today to have from nationally recognized architecture and engineering firm, BSA Life Structures. Boy, I'm having trouble talking. I think I needed more coffee for this episode. But Kevin Token, principal at the firm, 30 plus year systems engineer, professional, and Ryan King, principal and licensed architect at BSA Life Structures. It's been such a pleasure to learn from both of you gentlemen, and I hope that you'll come back on and join us on Build America again sometime really soon. Our pleasure, Carrie. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Take care. (laughs) Will do. Hi, I'm Joe Payne host of The Future Built Smarter, a podcast produced by IMEG, a leading engineering design firm. Each month, I join IMEG Director of Innovation, Mike Lawless, to discuss the technology and trends that are shaping the future of the AEC industry. Our guests include fellow engineers, architects, and owners, 
and our topics range from artificial intelligence to net zero design. Listen to us on imegcorp.com or search for The Future Built Smarter on your favorite podcast app.